Hi, everyone. It's Shanda Wall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I got to sit back down with Gerald J. Leonard. He was on the Leadership Habit a year ago, which is crazy to think because so much has changed in a year. He is actually on the brink of releasing his newest book, A Symphony of Choices. How Mentorship Taught a Manager Decision-Making, Project Management, and Workplace Engagement, and Saved a Concert Season. For those that might remember, Gerald has shared with us his experience within music and how we can take those lessons and draw from them to be better. And in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about mentorship and the value of it. But before I dive in, let me tell you a little bit more or remind you um, who Mr. Gerald J. Leonard is. So Gerald is a PMP, a PFMP, and a CIQ coach. He's the publishing editor, CEO, and founder of the Leonard Productivity Intelligence Institute, as well as the CEO of Principles of Execution, LLC. He's a certified MBE, DBA, Turnberry Premier, a strategic project portfolio management, IT culture change and consulting firm with over 25 years of experience working with large federal and state governments and multinational corporations. And in this conversation, Gerald is going to talk about all of his experiences that he's packaged into his new book on how you can become a better mentor and heck, understanding that power of mentorship. You likely are working harder and not smarter and mentorship is one of the ways to accelerate your success. I hope you enjoy this week's conversation on the value of mentorship. Gerald J. Leonard, welcome back to the Leadership Habit. I can't believe that a year has gone by since we have had you on the show. And I'm sure, as everyone listening, a lot can happen in a year. So I yes, want to welcome can. you back to the show. Thank you so much for coming back. And I would love if you could maybe reintroduce yourself a little bit to the people that you might be new to, but also selfishly catch me up to speed on what's been going on. Jenny, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. It's been what a year. Um, <clears throat> a lot has happened within the last year. I've now written my, my third book and that's being published by uh, John Wiley and Sons. Uh, and that was, that's a whole story. So I'm excited. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm extremely excited about that. And they have one of the largest uh, audiobook publishers in the UK who's doing an audio version of the book. So I'm extremely excited. Uh, the, the Both businesses are going very, very well. My wife and I uh, last August um, had an opportunity to go to London. And in the process, because I'm a big, I'm really big on goals. And the idea of goals for me is not so much collection of stuff. It's about who do I have to become to achieve that goal? And so having a week's vacation in London was one of my goals. And oh my gosh, it was the, um, it was an amazing trip. Just, I learned so much, the history and, and everything around that, um, stayed near the tower of London. It was, it was such a blessing. Not only did that, but one of my goals was for us to move into a new home. And while we were in London, we were working with our realtor, closing on the home that I now live in. <laughs> and oh. so we were actually, we had one day we were coming back from somewhere, we're sitting in the back of the London taxi, and we're digitally signing papers for the closing on our house, so that when we got back into the States, we just had to go to the closing and finish everything up. So a lot has happened. And then we went down to the Cayman Islands for, our, for Christmas break. 
And that's when I got the email that my book was going to be published by Wiley. So here I am laying on the beach, signing, digitally signing the contract for my book. I couldn't have asked for a better year. Yes. No, congratulations. <laughs> I mean, the, the new host, trip to London, beautiful city. And then, of course, being published by Wiley, which I feel like so many people would you know, there's a lot of things people do to probably have to be able to put that onto their resume. So congratulations. And tell us a little bit more about your new book, because I know we're going to be talking about mentorship on this week's episode. So tell us a little bit more about your new book that you said it's going to release in August, right? It's going to release in August. And so we've been working on it quite a bit as far as like promoting it and getting getting the word out. And I'm really excited about it because the book is based on a technical certification around project portfolio management that I went after back in 2015. Now, when you think about that title or what I just said, how attractive is that? Uh, not much. <laughs> so I decided I, didn't say I, said, that. Well, I did not say that. <laughs> well, I said it because <laughs> you know, I've already, I've already kind of tested the waters and I'm like, oh, that's a boring topic. But what I realized that it's a very important topic because it is the essence of leadership when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to getting things done in a large organization or even in the, for you personally around project management, and how do you engage the entire workforce? So thinking about that and thinking the value that this program has in it, because it's based on a, a industry standard certification, and I think all of us do it, but just having the education around it. But sometimes we got to be able to accept things in a way that we can take them in. And so I know that watching Ted Lasso and other stories like that, which everybody loves, that having a great storyline with some drama and some excitement and some interesting characters makes a, you know, a business course go down easy. And so, so basically what I did was wrote a business novel called A Symphony of Choices. And the, you know, the main character is a 20-year, uh, has 20 years of experience playing uh, classical bass, and he has to uh, not so much switch jobs, but he takes on a new job as the orchestra manager. There's a lot of drama. There's things happening with his family. There's things happening in his own life, the 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 conductor, and all those things that happen. But he has to figure it out, and he realizes that, hey, when I was in college, I used to work, I was taking a class from a gentleman named Dr. Richardson, who was a professor in this, in this concept of project program, portfolio management, decision-making. So he reaches out to him and he starts getting mentored by him and they meet for coffee and he gets mentored and he gets Dr. Richardson and his wife tickets to go to the concerts throughout the season. And so that's how it starts. And it just, you know, and it's, it's fast paced because as soon as his wife finds out, she really doesn't want him to have a job. She don't think he's, that it's the right thing for the family. So it starts with conflict right away. And uh, it's, it's an interesting read. I love it. Well, I can I can read the full title. So that's coming out in August. A Symphony yes. of Choices, How Mentorship Taught a Manager, Decision-Making, Project Management, and Workplace Engagement. All things that are so incredibly important. Right. Because and the last the part base, of that, the last part of that subtitle is, and save the concert season. <laughs> and save the concert season. I love that. The outcome of it. Not only can you improve the engagement or the decision-making or project management. Hey, we can also improve the concert season or that final goal that we all have. What exactly. inspired you to want to really get into mentorship? Because I know that's a, a foundational component of this book. What inspired you to want to write about mentorship? You know, all of my life, 
um, as a musician, you know, I'll just put it out there. I'm 60 years old. I've been playing bass since I was 10. When I first started playing, I was playing with the band and some other musicians who were really, really good. I got pretty good, but I wanted to get better. And I realized that to get better, I needed a coach. And I was the youngest of six. And so mom and dad, you know, they were just ordinary working folks. One, my dad did construction. My mom was a seamstress. And so if I wanted to do some of those extra things, I needed to pay for it myself, which was fine. And so I went out and I did yard work. I did other chores because I wasn't actually old enough to get a job, but I did enough that I could go and make some money. And then I would take the money I made. I found a bass teacher and I would pay him out of my own pocket and he would teach me the bass. I was very serious about learning and I took notes from every lesson and that, the, that lesson never left me as a kid. And I've used that principle throughout my life that if you really want to get good at something, go find someone who really understands what they're doing, pay them to tell you how to do it better. And so I have, even now, I can think of at least five or six programs, mentors, coaches, PhDs who are in my life that I pay to coach me, to mentor me. In fact, right before this call, I got, just got off a call with a gentleman named Mike Rayburn, who's, who's played at Carnegie Hall 10th time. He's one of the, the top speakers and musicians. And so it's something that I'm, wanna, I'm, I'm putting together for myself with, that I'm doing with music and speaking. And he's my coach. He's my mentor. And we, we, we are all, we're almost close to the same age, but he just has so much more experience in it. But I know that he can shortcut my growth and experience of how to get to where I'm trying to go. Yes. I mean, and that so that's why me, I believe in mentorship. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it reminds me because I think that either we have a choice, we can kind of, if we want to go down the school of hard knocks and, and have that mental toughness that like, I can do it and I can figure it out on my own, or we can go ahead and ask for help and say, it's okay that I don't know it. It reminds me of, I know I shared with you the quote earlier before, as we were discussing what my aunt always said, but what you just shared reminds me of what my grandpa always told me. Jenny, I have a million dollars worth of advice, but to you, it means nothing. You know, like the advice is there, but you have exactly. to seek it out. Uh, and if you don't seek it out, it's not just going to, you know, fall into your brain via divine intervention in a beautiful way. It's probably going to come in a little bit more of a painful package. Than that. Right. And and today, you know, the, 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 the world that we live in today, especially with AI and everything that's happening, things are moving so fast. That by the time you figure out one technology that's old and it's dead and it, they've already built something new and they moved on. And what I realized was that some of the core things that we need to know are not things that are going to just like new technology, you know, come and go real quick. They're going to last, right? And success leaves clues. So the quickest way and the best way to get from point A to point B in your life is to find a mentor, is to find a coach, find someone who's been there, done that, who has figured out the, you know, know what books for you to read, uh, has a, an amazing network, who can introduce you to new people, expand your horizon, show you what's possible, uh, shortcut your development time. All of those things are a part of it, but it's something that you have to want from the inside. And then you have to, and, and then here's the other thing that I think is really neat right now is that every expert or mentor out there 
is probably a click away. Yeah. They really are. And they may just be, actually, if you look on your network, whether Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram, they may be one or two people away. To where you could go and literally go to Bob or Mary and say, hey, could you introduce me to so-and-so? Or you reach out to that person that you really want to talk to and say, I'm going to, you know, I know so-and-so and so-and-so, and I know they're connected with you and your network. I really would love to talk to you. I've bought your book. I've listened to your program. I would like to have a conversation. You wouldn't, be, you wouldn't believe how many people who are what we would call at the top of the food chain who would be willing to t- answer your email, take a phone call, or engage with you because we're just in that level, that place where technology has leveled the playing field and made everyone so much more accessible. Yes. Such a cool time, I think, because we can accelerate our learning at a faster exactly. pace than ever. Uh, and I mean, you and I, obviously, you're an author. I, I, I'm a reader, <laughs> not an author. <laughs> but there's, you know, if I think about even how podcasting has changed how quickly we can even start to get information, which wait, you told me that you also started a podcast this year. I Quick, did. If you like give a plug, let me know. Tell me more about your podcast. So the podcast is called Productivity Smarts. And the idea is I share um, categories of topics or information and really on what's allowed me to become productive. But, and I, and I call it Productivity Smarts because I have a, pro, a website and a company called Productivity Intelligence Institute, which I started after having a major bout with vertigo. And I think we talked about this last time mm-hmm. and that the vertigo wiped out my vestibular system. I lost the ability to walk. But as a musician, I also had researched and understood the neuroscience that by playing music and playing a lot more, it would activate my brain to work around any damage and rewire itself. I still have the, the disability or constraint. I call it a constraint. I don't call it a disability. Um, but because I've learned how to leverage it and take advantage of the constraint, I've become more productive now than I was before. And so, so I, so, so the podcast really helps share, I share my journey and what I've learned. And I also interview other people who are authors and others who are experts on the podcast to introduce them to, to my audience and to really share things around this concept of being productivity smart. My gosh, I love it. Especially in an era where I feel like distraction is one click away, one thing, exactly. or notification or Teams message, and all of a sudden you're five hours away from your deadline of what you actually wanted to accomplish. Exactly. I mean, congrats on the podcast too. So I, I thank you so much for telling me more about that. Crosscom is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crosscom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. 
We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at Crestcom.com. So going back, I know you referenced Ted Lasso earlier, and I'm a yes. huge Ted Lasso fan. I actually haven't watched the, what is it, the third season? The third season. I have not watched it yet. I will get there. But we're talking about mentorship and going back to your book, A Symphony of Choices. You know, what leaders, what what can leaders learn from business parables like Ted Lasso about decision-making or leadership or teamwork and culture? You know, I think they can learn a ton because, um, when you have a mentor who's been there, done that, or someone who has a framework and who's taught, like in my book with um, the, the the main character's name is Jerry Hall. Um, he reaches out to Dr. Richardson, who has taught college when he was in school, like for 20, 30 years and still teaches. And, he, and he's taught all these principles and he's consulted for major organizations. He's able to give Jerry insight into the content of his, of his course, right. But give it to him in a way that one in small bites and pieces, but also in a way that he could actually leverage. And then because they have, they built this mentoring relationship, um, Jerry comes back to him and says, okay, here's what I learned from you last time. This is what I did with it. This is what happened. These are decisions I make. Here's where I'm trying to go now. And they talk that out. And then he says, okay, now that you've learned this, now you're ready for this. And so he's slowly kind of walking him into a maturation process around how to make better decision makings or how to engage the other executives and get them on board. Because a lot of those skills, it's kind of like the um, the journeyman um, apprentice mindset. Um, a, a lot of it is you learn the basics, but you really need someone who knows the the real skills and who has the experience to, to do that. It's interesting because uh, in my other company, Turnberry Premier, we have a program called Crew. We reach out to about, th- about we get about 10,000 applications a year. We only have 3% of them, but we also have a mentoring program. And these young folks go through this process of becoming um, really great consultants, a great um um, advocates within their in the organizations that they become part of simply because they have the mentoring and coaching. And so mentoring lays a foundation and it removes so many obstacles uh, for growth and development that without it, um, you, you might read the book or you might understand the process, but you don't get the real world experience. It's like having a really good tour guide. Yeah. who's been on that trip a number of times and can say, Oh, hold up. Don't step over there. Watch out for that. Uh, and that's, that's so critical. That Well, and that brings up like, why don't, because I don't think I had a mentor until probably 15 years into my career. You know, I think I was like, no, I really like the school of hard knocks. I'd rather, you know, fail <laughs> all the hard ways. Honestly, that was probably, I don't even know if it was ego then, such as it was, I don't know how to ask someone to do that, or I can figure it out. I'm sure they can figure it out, but you've already painted the picture of the value of how, you know, mentorship can really accelerate our success. Why do you think people, when we have such profound evidence of why it's yeah. a value, why do you think people still don't try to leverage the power of, of mentorship? 
I think it's in our society, and I think when I say our society, I'm talking globally, not just in the United States, but I'm thinking globally. Um, you know, we hear the stories of the person who pulled themselves up by the bootstraps, yeah. right? And, 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 you know, he's a self-made man. And, and we hear that, and all of that is a myth, because when you really dig behind the scenes, everyone who's, who's successful and famous or whoever has made a major impact always had a mentor, had a coach had someone that's gone before them. Um, but I think it's it's probably because we feel like, you know, one, it's it's going to be a sign of weakness. You know, because it's like, you know, you think about it. If you're in school and you, you're told you need a tutor, oh, you must not be doing well in that, 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 um, that, 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 um, that course because now you need a tutor, right? Or, or if you are at a job and we, we need to get you some coaching, well, that sounds like a bad thing. It's like, oh, well, you're not doing well enough. So we got to get you some coaching because we need to get you up to speed instead of, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when we call a center of disability, a disability center, but what if we, what if we rename them to an enablement center? Yeah. So instead of people going to the disability counselor or disability center, they go to the enablements. Well, okay, well, enablement, that means I'm going to get better. And so, and here's another interesting story I learned. Um, The previous CEO of Best Buy, when Best Buy was really struggling, um, he was asked and told that he needed to get some mentoring. And at first he rebelled and pushed back. And Hubert Jolly is his name. And he's now a professor at Harvard. Well, the person who encouraged him to get uh, coaching from uh, Marshall Goldsmith said, no, it's, it's, it's not about you not doing well. It's about possibility thinking and the future and getting better. You know, all the NFL players to get better, they all have coaches. Tom Brady up to his last game still had a coach after playing seven Super Bowls and all the things he's, he still had a coach and a whole group around him to give him insight into what he was doing to get better. So I think it's a lot of how we, um, the words we use around coaching and mentoring that can kind of um, cause people to, to not want to go after it. But I think in certain other environments, whether it's, you know, a professional basketball player, professional golfer, professional tennis player, all of those folks, who are at the top of their game making billions of dollars, guess what they have in common? They have a coach. They have a mentor. They have someone who's giving them feedback, giving them real-world experience, and helping shape. Because if they can get a percent better, a nose better, a fraction a fraction faster, that makes them more of an, than an elite athlete. And it's the same thing in our personal life and in our business by having mentors and coaches. Yeah. And well, now I just have to drop my hands. So there, then there's no <laughs> such thing. And cause I really don't, I don't I think I didn't like when she used to say this to me. And I, it was when I was early on in my corporate career, Jenny, there's no such thing as independence. It's only interdependence. Yes. And I think I probably gave, you know, the eye roll to her in the moment of like, no, I can figure this out. I know that I'm sure I probably, 
had ego. Let's be honest. I had ego, but yeah. it's true. Like the, the older that I get, there's no way that I could be successful if I'm not even learning from the students that I teach her cross and learning or heck, my friends, my family, my neighbors, there's people all around us that we can learn from. But you also shared one important piece as it relates to that. And I think we even talked about this in the last podcast, because when it comes to mentorship, chances are you might also get the opportunity to get that big F feedback. And sometimes that feedback is not that easy to swallow. I myself have definitely had horrible feedback conversations. Uh, Bless the hearts of my bosses that have had to deal with my inappropriate response to that. But, you know, as I get older, the more I, I really do relish in the fact that feedback is a beautiful thing that we can get. And if you're not getting it, then you have no idea whether you're getting it right. And so yeah. I'm curious, when you talked about the value of mentorship, what tips might you have around either delivering or receiving receiving feedback that could help someone really, I guess, I guess, accelerate or create a greater imprint on someone else's life, or at least get a stronger value out of mentorship? Gotcha. Gotcha. When I think of giving feedback, I always think of what's called the sandwich method. And the sandwich method is, you know, you have two pieces of bread and then some meat in the middle or some meat and cheese in the middle or lettuce or whatever. Um, And that kind of symbolizes our metaphor for um, give a compliment, give something supportive, say something that's encouraging, and then help them, you know, through that part of the conversation, begin to digest the more meatier part of the conversation where you may have some things that are constructive or things that they need to work on and provide them with, you know, some direction. Don't just say, well, you're not good at this. Like, okay, this is something we need to work on. And here are a few things that you could do or a few resources that I've identified that could help you and let them decide which one they want to, or if they want to go out and research their own, but at least give them some ideas so they're not just stuck there look, looking like a deer in the headlights or rolling their eyes like, well, why'd you, you know, okay, great. Now you just, you know, made me feel bad, but you're not giving me any hope or answers because the whole idea behind a mentor is to, you know, to widen the horizon of the person that you're mentoring and to give them hope and, and give them a vision of what they can do. And then once you give them that meat, if you will, um, you, you, compliment them again, or you encourage them again, you provide that support. So I think of that sandwich method of, of accepting feedback and for receiving feedback. uh, One of the best examples, especially when you have kind of uh, constructive feedback or feedback that's hard to take is a gentleman named Steve Scott who wrote up, I think it was a training program. He's probably written a couple of books, but he, he uses an analogy of, of getting feedback where it's almost like you're looking for gold, but then someone takes you're out at the beach and someone takes a bucket of water from the ocean and throws it in your face. You know, it's like one is the shock of it because you yeah. got the water smashed in your face. Then you got little sand and then you get the salt and it burns your eyes. But once you get over that and you look inside the bucket and you're kind of looking through the sand, there's like little trinkets of gold at the bottom of the bucket. Well, if you got, if you just took the the shock of the water coming at you, um, that's one thing. If you took the sting, that's another, it's like, okay, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not even going to look in the bucket. So also then all you know about feedback is that one, it's shocking and it hurts instead of it being, well, it's shocking. It hurts, but I also identified some goal 
in the bottom of the bucket that they were, that I wouldn't have seen if I wouldn't have wiped my eyes and took a deeper look. And so I always look at receiving feedback with the mindset of, with that, with that visual in mind that I need to get past the shock and awe of it and look inside the bucket because somewhere in there is going to be a few nuggets of gold that are going to create value in my life. Yeah. I love that. I, I feel like that. I'm just like, I need to look for the sand in the bucket. <laughs> but I feel like that's the root of, you know, how we receive feedback, how we give it is really that root of emotional intelligence. It's how we understand our world around us, how we can yes. take on that in that the bucket, what's left in that bucket to say, what can I do to improve? Now, I know in the book, I think you touch on the topics of the emotionally intelligent leader. And one of the things yes. that you might address is why vulnerability is actually important in a decision-making process. Now, I love that because often people think vulnerability, well, that's just your one-on-one. -on -one. What place does vulnerability have in decision-making? Come on, what do you mean? That's when you're you being too emotional. No, teasing, right, but right. tell me more what you mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, vulnerability is very important because, you know, I like to go after when I'm negotiating or, or, or having those kind of conversations or trying to make a decision, I always look for the win-win. And a part of being win, a part of win-win is not being a softy. It's, it's saying, I want a decision where you're going to win and I'm going to win, or we're not going to play. So in other words, we need to sit down at the table and have a very frank and upfront conversation about whatever we're having, trying to make a decision around, or else it, this is not a good decision for either one of us. And I'm willing to walk away. That's a, that's, that's saying that being vulnerable is, is, is not, which, which at times could be seen as being kind of like, um, soft, sure. right? can be seen as being soft when really being vulnerable and, and taking it from a win-win conversation standpoint, but, but with the mindset that you're willing to walk away, if you can't come to agreement where you both win, then that makes it, that gives it a little bit of a different um, stance yeah. so that it's not just, I'm a, you know, this person's a pushover, but they really mean that they really want the best for me, but they also want the best for themselves. Yes. And they're willing to be open and have an open dialogue. Because a long time ago, as a consultant, I read this book from a gentleman, Mahon Khalsa. Uh, and it, his book was named um, Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. And it was about working with clients and saying, okay, we can do this dance of you tell me what you need. I, I go in a dark room and write a proposal and I bring it back to you and you tell me if it works and so on and so forth. And we can go back and forth. Or we can just say, let's get real. You got a problem. Here's what I think the solution is. This is what we've done in the past. Who else is experiencing that problem? How can we address the problem? Let's sit down on the same side of the table and look at it together and get real about addressing it. And now if you think because of how I'm helping you solve this, develop the solution for it, that I can help you implement the solution, then give us the business. I've used that approach in one more business because my clients feel like they have a true consultant. They have someone who they can consult with. They have yeah. someone who can go in and do a diagnosis because you're never going to go to a doctor. And he goes, here's a pill. You want him to go, okay, doc, let me tell you my story first. And I want you to tell me what's really going on. And let's get, let's sit on the same side of the table and really get to the truth. Right. And so it's, it's really that part of the, of the, uh, the process of 
you know, meeting each other's needs and really understanding how to um, have those frank conversations. And so it's not about being soft. It's about being open, vulnerable, real, but also having the, the gumption to say, if we can't come up with the right solution, I'm willing to walk. Yeah, that is, I mean, I think if more people could show up with that way, think about how many people would preserve. Um, I would say the resentment energy that builds, right? When you take that bad deal, when you're really mad and the relationships that <clears throat> become fractured and sometimes irreversibly like done just by exactly. actually being honest with people. Yes. Now, I know we've talked more about like the value of mentorship. If you're a leader, like how do you show up as a better mentor? Because is, is leadership really, you know, is being a manager really different than being a mentor or what specifically does that look like in action and how they could be a better mentor to even their team? Yeah, I think of, I think of the person when I, when I think of an example of, of like a, a, a major leader who's done that, I think of Satya Nadella from Microsoft. Um, I, I was watching a, um, LinkedIn learning video from him one time, and he was talking about the culture of leadership and management at Microsoft that he's implemented and why Microsoft has done so well. And he says his model is to, um, to model, coach, and care. And so the first thing is he's going to model the excellence that he wants to see in his team or his executive leadership and, his, and, and the folks around him. His next one is to mentor and coach the folks that are his direct reports. So he doesn't come across to them as I'm your boss. This is what you got to do. You got to make it happen. Go get it done. It's okay. We all have, we all signed up for our roles. You know, the results that you need to achieve. Now, how can I help you? So then he becomes the coach and mentor because they've already signed up to produce results. But then also he adds this other component, which is, and also I'm going to show that I care about you and your job performance, about you and your family, about your well-being, understanding that's all wrapped around you producing these results. So you still got to deliver. Because yeah. I'm a coach and care, but if you can't deliver, then we have to find somebody else. But if you're willing to you know, deliver and really work at delivering, then I'm also going to coach and mentor you and care about you as a person and realize that I'm still, I still can hold your feet to the fire to deliver the results, but yet still mentor and help you to grow. And I, and I saw that in him as someone who's running one of the largest corporations in the world. Right. And that's one of the reasons Microsoft has become who they've become through since, you know, uh, Bill Gates and, and the other leaders that have, that have ran Microsoft and why it's has taken its technical prowess now. Um, because of, um, you know, even the integration of AI as a co-pilot in the Office 365 in the cloud, all those things. He's, he's an amazing technical leader. You know, he's, he's really is. He's an amazing tech. I mean, he could write code. He can build infrastructure. He could do the work himself, but he's learned how to model what he's looking for, then mentor and coached and care about the people that are around him. And it is, and you know, Microsoft is just an example. Tim Cook is the same way with Apple. Yeah. Well, and it is, it's that releasing, I feel like it's really getting past that fixed mindset, mental clutter that we're in, that I have to prove how great I am. And instead thinking, how can I continue to learn and then share 
all the insights that I have instead of trying to keep it to myself. I, I love that I didn't know, I had no idea that he could do the work himself because you never know if someone's actually sat in the chair of some of the people when they're taking over leadership. But I do think that that's one of the most profound things that you could do as a leader is to understand how the work is done. And yeah, well, of- he grew up inside Microsoft. So he was a technical manager and technical executive who grew up inside of Microsoft. So he's been there for a long time. So he's not a new kid on the block. So he yeah. knows the whole culture, but he's also known for his technical prowess in bringing new products and things to, to the market. Yeah, well, and carving out time. I love that like that is because, again, I don't know why it's the case that we like we forego the developmental time because we know that we've got work to do and projects and deadlines. But I love that of some of that stature title responsibility is still taking the time. Now, yes. I, I know we have to wrap it. I want to ask one final question before okay. I'm, I'm going to ask you to share how our audience can get in touch with you. But this question intrigued me, which is what are the five reasons why you should treat your employees like artists? I love that. Like, I, I want this mindset <laughs> shift because mentorship is a mindset shift and it's how we look different. But what are the five reasons that we should treat our employees like artists? You know, it's it's really interesting because the reason we should, because in today's economy, everyone, you know, we, like we just went through this thing where people called it the, the big resignation, where people were resigning um, and everything. And I heard someone um, kind of state it differently. They called it the big reassessment. That people weren't just resigning because they didn't want to work. They were, you know, COVID and everything that we just gone through, the pandemic and um and you know the the all the racial tension and all the other things that have happened in the United States. It's it forced people to reassess their life and go, do I want to spend eight hours a day in this situation? when my life could be gone tomorrow and I'm not living my best life, I'm not living who I am. So people begin to reassess. So, which means that one, they are taking control of who they are and they are trying to become experts at, w- at what they do and, and basically become a part of the gig economy, right? Cause that's really what the gig economy is, is you hire me not because of my time and let me punch in the clock, but you're hiring me for results and that I'm going to deliver. Well, as a musician, what do you do? You you develop a skill to play the violin, the viola, whatever instrument you're you're working on, and you know first thing is um, you have to give your employees the big picture, right? A conductor comes in and he basically says, "Okay, we're going to play Bach, Beethoven, Stravinsky, and I'm going to give you the big picture of what we're going to do." Two, I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm not going to step down from the podium and play your part for you. That's what I hired you for. That's what, that's your job. Three, I'm going to trust that you know how to practice and you know how to learn the piece. So I'm going to trust your work. Three, um, four, I'm going to assign a section manager and you guys are going to work together as a team and really develop a comprehensive process of working together as musicians. And then, and then three, I'm going to respect the uh, five. I'm going to respect that you've done all the work and as I make suggestions and recommendations with my hands and posture to, to conduct the music that, you know, I'm going to look you in the eye and engage with you. And so when I think about how to treat our employees as musicians, those are the things that a conductor does. Now, imagine if the CEO or the boss came in and 
let you know that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take over your job. I'm going to coach you in your job or I'm going to coach you at what I want, but I'm going to let you because that's what I hired you for. If I hire, if I put you in the role of the financial accountant and I'm smarter than you are, then I've hired the wrong person. I need yeah. to hire someone who's in, who's a financial accountant who's going to coach me, who's going to teach me some things about financial accounting and who's really smart because now there's a respect there. But I'm also giving you results that, to, that you need to achieve. I'm also expecting you have a team around you and so on. So those are some really key things, I think, when it comes to you know, just how conductors look at artists and how we as CEOs of companies really should be looking at our people. I think those are really valuable insights. And, you know, just so much respect because I think, and I know, I think we actually talked about this in the last one, even as it relates to feedback, like there is an entirely different dynamic. The more that I learn about musicians, uh, whether it's the orchestra, that corporations, executives, leaders could really learn from because you, you're you in a state of constant feedback. You have to rely on the team. You've got to pay attention to the directive. You, you have to listen. trust that people can do their job. Yeah. And I feel like more and more people, I, I hope that you can continue to bring your experience and insight to, to our audiences because I think there's a lot of value that we can learn. And hey, this is my final plug as we're wrapping the show, a symphony of choices, how mentorship, taught a manager, decision-making, project management, and workplace engagement, and saved a concert season. There that you go. book comes out in August, and I highly recommend that you check that out because I think it's a different perspective or it's written from a different perspective that many of us may not have visibility into, and there's a lot of insights that we can likely glean from that. Gerald, exactly. thank you for being on the show. Like, how, how can our audience get in touch with you? I know I just shared the book. It comes out in August published by Wiley again. Congratulations. How can our audience get in touch with you? Well, I'll share how they can get in touch with me. And also I can share how they can get a jump start for free on using some of the principles in the book. If you go to productivityintelligenceinstitute.com forward slash TLH, the leadership habit. And if you, if you go to that website, you'll see a uh, an image file that says every goal is a project and everyone is a project manager. That is a companion guide that I created that goes along with the book. However, it also teaches you the six critical aspects of managing a project or goal based on my 25 years of experience of managing goals, projects for major corporations from the national archives to multi-billion dollar corporations these are six things that every successful project has to have in its place. So I teach you how to use those skills. And then once the book comes out, you can purchase the book because then in the in the uh, worksheet, it references parts of the book that you can e- go even deeper in those concepts. So they can go to productivityintelligenceinstitute.com forward slash the leadership habit or TLH and, um, and find all those resources and everything that they need is there. That, in fact, that page was specifically created for your audience. Fantastic. And thank you for doing that. Uh, Gerald, per usual, I loved our conversation. I loved all the stories. You dropped so much in our short time together. And I just want to, again, say thank you. Congratulations on your big success. But I really enjoyed our conversation. And I really appreciate you acting as a mentor to our audience and giving them insights into how they can hopefully shift their mindset around mentorship, but hopefully be a better mentor to others. Thank you so much for being on the show. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Gerald. He shared, again, I love the metaphors. I love the insights. There's so much that we can draw from. And at the end of that podcast, of course, he shared an offer, a way that you can connect and learn from him. You can head on over to productivityintelligenceinstitute.com forward slash TLH forward slash. And that TLH stands for the leadership habit. And of course, if you like this episode, go ahead and leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And if you know someone that could benefit from hearing this and understanding the power of mentorship, go ahead and share it with them. And finally, if we at Crosscom can help you in any way to develop your leadership team, we would love the opportunity. It's our commitment worldwide, around the globe, in the 60 countries that we operate in to develop better leaders so we can create stronger cultures. So head on over to crosscom.com to learn more about our free complimentary leadership skills workshop. And there you can also find additional complimentary white papers, eBooks, and complimentary webinars. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.